0: Hey, it's me again. Got some news and some goodies for you this week. First up, the mods for the fan-run Discord server have decided to lay down their burden and move on to the next phase of their lives. After years of creating and maintaining a space for the fans to discuss and celebrate the show, they have certainly earned their spot in hotel history, as well as a much-needed break. Rather than close up shop and bounce, they have handed over the keys of the kingdom to Us! We are in the process of looking into new mods, reorganizing the discord, and honestly sort of figuring out what the new official hotel discord will look like. What our involvement will be, what the new equilibrium is, that sort of thing. We always tried to let the garden grow on its own, peeking over the fence now and again, but that space was always for the fans, by the fans, and it's been wonderful watching it grow. The transition into a more heavy and official hand on the wheel is... Uh, We're figuring it out. I myself know little about using and moderating a server, but Pacific and Daisy are untangling that knot. Many thanks to the two of them, as well as to Raiden and all the other mods who have been in and out running the Discord for the past few years. Speaking of gardens, this month's bonus episode, The Garden, is out right now on our Patreon, an abstract hotel-herself affair with some dark towers sprinkled in for funsies. I was real stuck on an artist for this one, because we just scooped a bunch for the zine, and I got a bunch more on a list for the future, and I don't know, it felt tricky. I don't know quite which way to jump, gonna be honest. But then, Foss Padparatcha. I had never seen her stuff, never seen her around. She just appeared like the sun from behind the clouds. Bright colors, really striking silhouettes to her figures, and lots of adorable fun to her style. Everyone go check out her Instagram and Twitter at fosspodpirajap p h o s p a d a r a s. C-H-A. Check out our socials to see the gorgeous postcard art she did for us, or just join the Patreon at the hotel tier to receive that postcard in the mail. Speaking of the artists and the zine, we are taking pre-orders now for the physical copies. We are doing a limited run of physical copies, first come, first serve, and they will be shipped, like, next month. Uh, if all goes well, knock wood. Digital copies will also be available once the thing is finished, but if you want to grab a copy of The Guestbook Volume 1, Checking In, head on over to our Etsy store and pre-order right now. Links also all over our socials to that. Okay, let's get into trespasses. Aaron Ellis and you and Chung join us and do an absolutely bang-up job with a very small amount of dialogue. I also grabbed Paul Goetz, creator of the Follow-Up Showdown podcast, Theater of Tomorrow veteran, and my good friend for this one. And Ben Counter, writer of Trespasses, lends his vocal talents to this episode, and he does great. Everyone does great. There's one more member of this episode's cast, but I will let you all keep an ear out for that. Wink. Wink. Okie dokie, join the Patreon, buy the zine, hit up the Discord, turn on, tune in, drop out, and thanks for listening.
1: We see the world in a mirror, distorted and reflected back to us as the truth. But reality is in the cracks of that mirror through which people fall. They are the ones who no longer have a place in this world, or who never had one. The exiled and the lost, stepping sideways from the conventions of our society and into a place we can only perceive if we know the false reflection for what it is. We see beyond the mirror. We find the truth when all others have stopped looking. I am Cecilia Burnham, and this is Trespasses. I chose the name of this podcast, Trespasses, not just because I covered true crime, the sins, the trespasses against law and morality that constitute crime. I also chose it because we are exhorted to forgive the trespasses against us. It meant that crime was not the end, that even murder need not be the final act of a story. Sometimes, even the worst sins can be forgiven. The worst sinners can find a future outside the enormity of their crimes. No matter what, there is hope. I see hope in the connections I had uncovered between several disappearances apparently separated in time and place. A missing person's case always has that curious tension between despair and hope. It is the not knowing, we are told, that really hurts. The loved ones of a missing person are desperate to know what happened to the disappeared, even if it is the worst case scenario. Though few say it out loud, they yearn for the discovery of a discarded skull or a shallow grave just to finish the unresolved story, begging for a final word. But there is also the chance, vanishingly small but there, that the disappeared is still alive. They are an amnesiac being looked after by a good Samaritan, perhaps a prisoner who has endured through willpower and may one day fight their way to freedom." One day, the phone will ring, or there'll be a knock on the door, and the agony will be over. Hope and despair mixed so painfully that no anguish can compare. I saw another hope in these connected cases. Not only might some of these people come back from beyond whatever veil they had walked through, There could be a resolution, not in the discovery of a body or of a living soul, but in the deeper truth waiting to be seen. I had barely glimpsed that reality, where people ready to disappear dropped out of one world and into another. But I knew it was there, for it made such perfect sense. The hope I felt was that I would perceive that world in its totality, and the disappeared would become something else. Helen Krauser, known as Noreen, and Jacob Withers had brought me close to an understanding of the place they had gone to. I had a pool of other cases that matched my criteria. Among them, a few stood out, and among them, one spoke to me so directly I was researching it without making the decision to do so. Just as these people slipped out of reality, I had slipped into uncovering what others had missed about Justin Nguyen. This disappearance had considerable media interest when it occurred in 2015. It is still one of the cases recycled in true mystery compilations, and comment sections are populated with eager theorizing about where Justin Nguyen might have gone. He was a figure skating prodigy at UC San Diego, and at 19 years of age, was poised to be a star.
2: So Justin, this is your first collegiate championship, and I think it's fair to say you made a heck of a start. Thanks. Yeah, we've nailed the short program. I'm really happy with it. My coach is happy. The whole team definitely came through. You're alone on the ice out there, but you're quick to share the glory. Well, no one really skates alone. I wouldn't be here without Yelena, my coach, and the whole UC team. They've kept me working hard, eating right, training, pushing myself. The skater might be the only one most of the world sees, but this is really a team sport. Tomorrow is the free skate program. A lot of people are asking, are you going to go for the quadruple Lutz? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, My coach will be mad at me if I try for a quad Lutz. Especially if I end up on my butt. Have you landed it in training? I don't think the team would like me blabbing about what I have and haven't hit when there's no one watching. We can all do triple this and quad that when we're messing around, but it's what you can pull off in front of the judges that counts. How are you feeling about tomorrow's competition? I'm stoked. I get to do my thing in front of the world. I feel I'm blessed every day, but being here with all the best collegiate skaters has been some of the best times of my life. Well, well done so far, Justin, and best of luck tomorrow. Thanks. God bless.
1: That was an interview with Justin Nguyen at the 2014 Collegiate Figure Skating Championships, where he would go on to finish silver. He was tipped to become the US college champion at the 2015 event held in Wilmington, Delaware. Justin's coaches and college sports journalists saw him as a future competitor at the international and Olympic level. The rumored quadruple Lutz was due to come out at the 2015 championships. And Justin was even said to be aiming for a quadruple axle, which at the time had never been landed in competition. Justin Nguyen was the middle of three children, born to Irene and Jeffrey Nguyen, whose parents in turn settled in the U.S. as refugees from Vietnam. Those who knew him described him as kind and thoughtful, upbeat and popular. An all-American boy who was valedictorian at high school and one of the faces of his college But on the eve of the 2015 Collegiate Figure Skating Championship in Wilmington, Justin Nguyen vanished. He was last seen on August 14th walking into the Brandywine Continental Hotel, a short distance from the competition venue. Nguyen was due to check in, then join up with his roommate Tayshaun Briggs, who had arrived earlier that day. Briggs contacted the front desk when Nguyen did not arrive and was told he had not yet checked in. The UC San Diego team was unable to contact Nguyen's mobile phone, and he was reported missing that evening. Justin Nguyen was known to be punctual and conscientious, and everyone involved believed something untoward had happened to him. Hospitals were checked and the Wilmington police put on alert. A timeline was put together from his arrival in town with the rest of the team to his arrival at the hotel. He was always with another member of the team from the departure from San Diego International Airport to the last sighting of him on the road where the Brandywine Continental Hotel is located. There was no time unaccounted for until he vanished, and no sighting or indication of where he went. The last person to see him was his coach, Yelena Volkova, a former Belarusian professional who had found employment in the U.S. collegiate system. She was interviewed by the local news in the weeks after the disappearance.
3: We were talking about
1: the future.
3: We all thought he was going to be an international competitor. He was playing it down, but I was insisting he needed to be prepared for when the national team came calling. He was like that, always pretending he was nothing special. I wanted to get a newspaper. There was a kiosk by the hotel. I told Justin to go in, I would just be a minute. By the time I got the paper, he was gone. I assumed he had gone into the hotel. When he wasn't in the foyer, I thought he had signed in and headed up to his room, so I didn't think anything of it. It was only when Tayshawn asked me where he was that I thought anything was wrong. I've gone over it a million times. I say to Justin something like, forget about it until the end of this competition, but afterwards make sure to give it lots of thought. He smiles. And he shrugs, and I say to go on ahead, and I turn to the man in the kiosk, and he asks where I'm from because of my accent. We speak for maybe 20 or 30 seconds, and Justin is gone. I go into the hotel, and he isn't there either. How far could he have gone in 30 seconds? Across the street, maybe? Into an alleyway at the side of the hotel? I suppose he could have got out of my sight if he was quick. If he stayed behind me, he could have gotten away from me without me seeing. But why would he do that? I've tried to think why he would disappear at that moment. If it was deliberate. Maybe he had a boyfriend or girlfriend in town he wanted to see, but there were plenty of chances for him to get rid of us before then. He could have just said he wanted to go to the hotel early or get something to eat. Why wait until we were at the hotel i never made any sense out of it. And if someone else grabbed him, how did they do it? In the middle of the day with me right there. Other people on the street watching. I just don't see how it was possible. Of course, I wish it had been different. All I had to do was turn around a few seconds earlier or not bother with that damn paper. Every day, I think that. Just a few seconds and we would know where he was. Or we would still have him. Just a few seconds.
4: Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Thanks for listening. Now back to The Hotel.
1: I was reminded instantly of Helen Krauser's disappearance. She, too, walked through the front doors of a hotel and was never seen again. Like Justin Wynn, she failed to check into the hotel and seemingly dropped out of our reality somewhere between the doors and the front desk. Unlike with Helen Krauser, we can confirm Justin Wynn never made it through the foyer to the front desk because the police were able to view the security recordings for that day and he doesn't appear in it at all. The area immediately inside the doors is off camera, so it can't be confirmed if he walked through them or not but it seems impossible he entered the hotel that way at all. Three theories have proliferated online about Justin Wynn. The first is that his coaching team and the figure skating program at UC San Diego was involved. They spirited him away and either killed him or are keeping him somewhere, perhaps under a new identity. That would explain away the witness statements from his coach and other team members that place him with them until the moment of his disappearance. The reasons they would do this are as varied as the theorists themselves. He knew a dark secret about the athletics program. He was kidnapped by another nation to compete for them. He was the victim of a deadly feud with classmates. None of them have any evidence for them, and require a level of subterfuge on the part of the college that borders on conspiracy theory. The second is that he was kidnapped by a stranger. In the moments Yelena Volkova's eyes were off him, he was lured out of sight by someone who wanted to do him harm. It is assumed that the people on the street would have noticed if he had been dragged into a car or otherwise taken by force, so this theory has him following someone into an alleyway where he could be knocked out or otherwise controlled out of sight of any witnesses. And, of course, the third is that Justin wanted to disappear. Unlike with Noreen or Jacob Withers, there is little love for this theory. As Yelena pointed out, Justin could hardly have picked a less convenient time to try to vanish. The leading theory is that, in spite of the enthusiasm apparent in his interviews and performances, Justin was weighed down by the pressure of the sport and the possibility of international competition, and took on a new identity to avoid the expectations of those around him. This holds even less water than some of the conspiracy theories, since there was nothing stopping him from just quitting. If he really wanted to avoid any backlash, faking an injury would have been a lot easier than trying to disappear. None of the three explanations is satisfactory, which is why I came to believe in a fourth. Justin Wynn truly disappeared he joined a world that we cannot perceive, or which we see distorted and in fleeting glimpses, the same place Noreen and Jacob Withers went. Not necessarily another dimension or some mythical plane, but a place separated from us by the fallibility of our perception. To paraphrase a famous writer of mysteries, when all the possible explanations are ruled out, What remains is the impossible. Something impossible happened to Justin Nguyen, and I was learning he wasn't the only one. What really sealed my conclusions were the words of Detective Lorne Baker, one of the investigators who had tried and failed to unravel the puzzle of where Justin Nguyen went. His statement to the media fit the standard pattern of condolences to the family and promises to do everything he could But it is his unguarded words, here recorded by a reporter while Baker believed he was off the record, that speak far louder.
4: What I heard all the time was how unfair it was. It was so unfair, he was so young. He was supposed to be a star. Look, we're supposed to treat every victim the same, like they're all just as important as each other, right? But you learn pretty much that ain't true. Kids and pretty girls, they mean a lot more. You tick all the boxes for everyone, sure, but sometimes there's only one case in town, you know. The win kid was like that. Because of how unfair it was, he should go poof just when he's about to become famous. He was supposed to win that contest, you know, the championship. He was going to be the next All-American hero gold medals, World champ beat the Russians the whole bit. everyone said that if whatever happened to him hadn't happened, he would have been the next big story in the Winter Olympics. But, but you're not supposed to say it, but nobody knows if that was true. Sure he was he was good, he was the best in his college, best two or three in the college system, but that that doesn't make him best in the world, not even best in the country. Chances are he would have reached some level, maybe no higher than he was when he disappeared, and got stuck there. There can only be one best in the world. Sure, the kid had a chance, but so did a hundred other people at the same level as him or higher. The case gets to me still. We never found him. We never had any answers. Nothing for the family. The only thing we can say is he was probably in the hotel at some point because of the phone, but even then that could be explained away. We all have ways of dealing with those cases. Me, I try to find something positive in it, something good, no matter how awful it is. There's always something, right? Some silver lining? With Justin Wynn, it's that the chances were he'd never get higher than he was on that day before the college championships. He was tipped for the gold, but who's to say if he would have won it? Plenty of other kids had a chance too. Even if he had, would he have got those world championships and gold medals? Again, odds are he wouldn't. So that silver lining is a silver medal. At least, Wynne never had to have that talk. That talk where the coach sits you down and says you're not good enough to go to the next level. Happened to me in college when I got cut from the offensive line. Happened to my kid, he was a good pitcher. He was real good. But he was good for high school. Only good for high school. The local double-A, they didn't want to know. Happens to just about everyone. You learn you ain't the best in the world after all. You won't go pro. You won't get your name on a cereal box. Justin Nguyen just... Never had to find that out. Look, I know it's not much. It doesn't make up for it. And I, I sure as hell never say it to the family. It's what gets me through the night, you know. At least that kid Justin only knew what it was like on the way up. He, he never had to go back down.
1: I found two items of significance in Baker's unguarded words. The first was the phone. I hadn't come across mention of a phone in the media reports and police statements concerning Justin Nguyen's disappearance. However, in the police files themselves, I found it. Justin Nguyen's cell phone was found in the Brandywine Continental Hotel, under the bedside cabinet of the room he was due to share with Tayshawn Briggs. This was during a police search of the hotel the morning after Justin was last seen the phone was not considered a critical piece of evidence. At first, this seemed a severe oversight by the police, but then I realized how easily it could have gotten there without Justin ever entering the hotel. It could have been brought there by Briggs, either by accident after ending up in the wrong bag or deliberately. Wynn could have given his phone to Briggs for some reason, with Briggs either forgetting about it or not mentioning it after the disappearance to avoid criticism for not bringing it up earlier. It could have been brought there inadvertently by one of the members of the UC San Diego team who went to the room while looking for Justin or to talk to Briggs. In addition, the phone had nothing on it of evidentiary value. Almost all the calls and messages made and received in the previous few days had been about arrangements for the competition. Only one was not accounted for, from an unlisted number, received on the morning of the day of the disappearance. It was a voicemail, and no one involved in Justin's life was able to identify the speaker. Justin didn't reply to it, and it is not certain if he ever even heard it.
3: Hello, Justin. It's a Big day for you, the biggest of your life. <laughs> Whatever happens, make sure you're ready to reach the last frontier.
1: Mm-hmm. Bye. 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 Police assumed the message was one of support for Justin, referencing the fact he was expected to move up to another level of competition after the championships. It was written off as irrelevant to the case. I didn't write it off. I heard it, and let it sink its hooks into my brain. It was part of the structure I was building up around these disappearances, and I could just make out the vague shape it was taking. I mentioned two items of interest. Along with the phone, the other was the way Justin Nguyen was at a crossroads in his life, or perhaps more accurately, at the top of a mountain. He had worked hard and grown into his potential to reach that pinnacle, and over the next two days, he would find out if he would crest it, fall short, or continue upwards. He had two ways forward. One is that he would continue to rise after the championships, reaching the ranks of the very best in the world, and perhaps becoming an American hero with a gold medal around his neck. Or, more likely he would reach the high point of his career and would then begin the inevitable slide back down. Even if he won the championships, the odds of him clambering even higher were low. Baker's cruel mathematics were right. That day was probably the last of Justin Nguyen's ascent. After it, he was headed downwards to vanish at the moment he had peaked or even just before rocketing up to the highest levels confirmed this belonged in the series of cases grabbing my attention. Like Noreen and Jacob Withers, Justin Nguyen was ready to disappear. His future is a glorious spectral chain of possibility. Perhaps he would have become the best in the world. Perhaps he would have been a star. An inspiration. An icon. To disappear when he did means that imagined future never had to be ground down into a dull reality. As Baker said, Justin never had to experience the way down. Even a brilliant career would have to end. Justin never saw it end. Never felt his knees ache as age got the better of him. Never saw the scores level off and head downwards as his best days became his past. Instead, his future is perfect. The grime of random reality never discolored it. Justin Wynn will always be a champion. As Baker said, none of that will make up for his loss to the people who cared about him. But as cruel as it sounds... That has ceased to be my main concern. It is the deliberate nature of the disappearance, the impossibility not only of the events themselves, but of the perfection of their timing that I care about. Justin Nguyen did not disappear. He was taken. Maybe not by a person, maybe not even through malice. Who was responsible, how it happened, and where he was, I still do not know. But the real questions are becoming clearer. Justin's case is not the last. The series continues back and forth in time, crisscrossing the country. The next will lead me further down the path to the truth, to where Justin and all the others ended up. It will lead me to the place behind the mirror.
0: Trespasses, Episode 3, Justin Nguyen, starred Anne Yatko as Cecilia Burnham, Aaron Ellis as Yelena, Ben Counter as Baker, Paul Getz as interviewer, Yuan Chung as Justin Nguyen, and Krista Lewis. Story by Pacific Obadiah, Travis McMaster, and Ben Counter, written by Ben Counter, and music by Matt Roy
4: Berger.